0: So I'm not a professor and I'm going to approach this from the perspective of what my job was and that was as a foreign policy practitioner having to deal with a new administration coming in. And uh, at that time I was in Washington DC when uh, George W. came into power after Clinton and as a Canadian diplomat at the time of course we were concerned with many of the same issues that people are concerned with today, Uh, the unsigning of international treaties and documents Um, backing away from uh, climate um, uh, institutions and where we're going to sit on on a range of foreign policy and security-related issues. Um, I think one thing to remember is, um, as a practitioner, is is for us not to get overly exercised about the policy pronouncements, because as as, uh, Professor Haggard just said, a lot will be actually worked out um, in the execution and less in the, in the words right now. I think it's more, from our perspective, a question of attitude, uh, probably more than immediately policy pronouncements. And the attitude doesn't look good, for sure. Um, but in terms of policy pronouncements, he's already backing away from certain things, which um, do trouble, I think, uh, the international community as a, as a, as a whole. But let me, let me point to two or three things in terms of the things that um, your closest neighbor and ally whether it's your first or second largest trading partner, certainly your largest energy source, energy partner, uh, would be concerned about. On NAFTA, um, I think you're right. I think we actually would welcome a certain opening of it to look at certain deepening of the aspects of of work that's unfinished. Um, Certain terms of labor mobility and visa issues that Canada has traditionally concerned itself with. Um, And prior to NAFTA, Canada had an FTA with the United States that governed a lot of the work that was done and an auto pack and a defense sharing agreement that governed a lot of the the deep parts of the trade that was done between our two countries. There are persistent irritants that come up, whether it's in agriculture, like country of origin labeling for meat products or, um, or softwood lumber, but some of the core work that happens between our two countries will continue, I think, to be governed by, if not the NAFTA, the FTA and the provisions that were there. So to a certain degree, I think certainly the government wouldn't necessarily object to having that conversation and see what is it that Mr. Trump and his team would have in mind. I think the one thing that we'd want to be concerned about is, you know, in terms of the larger NAFTA relationship, what does this mean for Mexico from a North American trading perspective? Certainly on the, uh, on the, on the regional aspects, uh, when you look at TPP, um, I think you're right, I think Canadians, which tend to be more Asian than Latin, um, will certainly look towards the relationship with China and what does it mean for that. And when I say we're more Asians than Latin, our immigration is in fact far more so from China and um, South Asia generally um, and and Europe than it is in in the United States. So, uh, you know, we have a a very different perspective in terms of that trade. Uh, Trade with Mexico is key. Uh, and then the NAFTA relationship. Um, but we're pretty optimistic that in terms of a, a civil discourse and a, and a good conversation that with practitioners, you'll come out to some pretty sensible solutions. At the end of the day, the industry groups um, and global value chains are the ones that are going to dictate a lot of what American policy is going to be driven by. Um, and I still think that irrespective of where, where the, the, the politics might end up, I think the industry associations and the actual participants trade will have a pretty strong voice in those, in those negotiations as they always have had. Um, one of the things that's, that's ironic from a Canadian perspective is that we just elected um, in Canada probably the antidote to what you've just elected here. Um, and I'm very happy to say that. And, and, and Justin Trudeau's father, um, probably a far more famous prime minister than Justin ever likely will be, but um, said that when the United States sneezes, Canada catches cold or pneumonia. And of course, that's, that, that is the case. I mean, Canada is, is in fact like California, but colder, right? We're 30, uh, 30 million, 35 million people for your 30, and um, large agricultural bells, high tech, uh, as well as uh, energy and natural resource at its base, um, and immigration, a population that is diverse. Um, But aside from that, if you look at the diversity that Canada has to offer, this is where I think the the interesting story is for the bilateral relationship. We are, um, in in some respects, driven by a very pluralistic and multicultural um, approach to the way we govern society. So um, our cities, so we're 30 million people spread across 150 mile ribbon if you quill north of the border, but if you look at our our top global cities, and usually three of them are always in the top 10 of the most livable cities in the world. Um, So let's use Toronto for example, which is roughly 3 million people. Over 48% of that city, over 48% of that city was foreign born. Over 40% or 50% don't speak English as a, or French as a primary language in the home, although they do speak English and French. That's not the principal language that would speak at home. Um, the racial mix in, in Toronto is kind of representative of what you have across Canada, except like in the United States, that vast mid the, the, the middle part of the country, which is agricultural-based. But the cities are very cosmopolitan in, in, in the broadest sense of the world in terms of in terms of integration, and while we have the challenges that you face in large American cities or in fact in European cities as well, um, there's a different approach to it, and and there's a great effort, a conscious effort, a policy effort, at um, not stoking the fires of religious divisions or cultural divisions or ethnic divisions. Um, So it stands in sharp contrast to some of the conversations that are taking place here, um, that's not to say one country is necessarily better than the other. Although I am Canadian, um, it is to say, though I think it, it's it's a fundamental driver of policy. But you know, we like to say that that it's attitudes and leadership that also shapes the minds and the and the hearts and the minds, if you will, of people of the co- across the country. And it, it takes sometimes stretching beyond even your own beliefs um, to go to a kind of a greater good. And um, so. I think that, that, that relationship will be a difficult one to, to kind of bridge in terms of if the attitudes in the White House, particularly in the, in the leadership that he's chosen so far, continue and maintain, because I'm not sure how you conduct certain types of conversations with that sharp division in terms of perspectives. I think where you will find a, a lot more commonality, uh, depending on where, where the, this administration goes on climate is on the energy. Uh, on the energy uh, issue. Of course, we, again, as I mentioned, are your number one supplier of energy. I think it'll be interesting to see, um, once you get past the rhetoric what that actually means in terms of using innovation in energy to address some of the challenges that you have here on coal and clean coal, um, what role the nuclear energy plays into this, what's the role of renewables. Um, Between the United States and Canada in this hemisphere, we're actually fairly lucky if you think of energy self-sufficiency. Um, and so that will have a long-term kind of, there will be some very pragmatic and practical implications for that. The other side of it is in terms of the global agenda, um, it's kind of, it's, a, it's an oft-used phrase, and often overused phrase in terms of the triangle between food, fuel, and water um, in terms of addressing sort of global challenges. And I think on global issues, so far as he doesn't dump global architecture, as a means by which to conduct these conversations um, in a practical way, um, I think there's going to be a pl- plenty of scope for collaboration. And again, notwithstanding governments, one of the things that I think over generations of, um, of watching um, US Canada relations, we can always rely on those very much stronger people to people links and industry to industry links that exist on both sides of the border to sort of ground, if you will, that nature of, of policy between our two countries. And I'm, I think we're hopeful back in, in, in Ottawa, though I can't speak for the government right now, is that will continue in the future, is that it will be our industries and the people themselves um, within those groups and our agriculture communities and other that will help shape and define policy moving forward. So um, typically Canadian, being kind of relaxed about this, See, not get too worked about it and let's see what he actually does with some of the policies because as, as, uh, as Samuel and Stephen, uh, Steph, uh, Stephen, I want to say Stefan has said, um, the policy is in, in shift right now, right? And, and he's already backing away from a, a number of pronouncements, so um, there's always hope.